Hello and welcome to the EMJ podcast. I'm Simon Carley and today I'm going to be taking you through the highlights from the July 2019 edition of the journal. This month it's being collated by Ian McConaughey, old friend of mine, works down in London around paediatric emergency medicine, strict critical care, and is a great player within the journal around paediatric issues. So you've probably seen his influence in the journal over many years and uh, if you ever get the opportunity to meet him, it's a lovely chat. I'm also going to mention a couple of other things as well. First up is the fact that there's going to be an EMJ research workshop led by Ellen Weber, our lead editor, up at the annual scientific conference for the Royal College of Emergency Medicine in Gateshead later this year. That's going to be really good fun, actually. I mean, the conference itself is going to be great. Uh, some really great content in there. But also the workshop, which is something we've not really tried with the conferences before, um, is going to be on. And there's also an ultrasound workshop as, as well, actually, as it happens. But those sessions on research if you're interested in getting into research you're interested in doing your own projects then do come along to that i think you'll find it incredibly helpful but what about this month what have we got in the journal this month well ian's picked out a few papers to talk about and focus on although there's there's more than this in the journal you can always read more and um, first up was a, a paper looking at reducing the repeat emergency department attendance for non-urgent care and a systematic review of the effectiveness of interventions this is an area where there's been lots and lots of debate. So it's good to have some evidence and some systematic reviews going on. So in paediatric emergency medicine, continuing to evolve around the world as a specialty. And with that, we're seeing an increasing demand on those services, particularly in emergency departments. And in paediatric or mixed, doesn't make a difference really. And how this increased demand may be managed, including the use of appropriate pathways of care to ensure that children and young people get the right care they require is complex, but, but necessary. So these authors have put together a systematic review that's found that the evidence for which interventions are effective in decreasing the demand on ED services for non-urgent care is, oh, spoiler alert, inconclusive and needs more research. Hmm. I kind of guessed that. I don't know about your experience, but there's been loads and loads of ideas about will stop people coming to the emergency department. I'm not sure they ever work. And this would suggest that the, the impact of the research where actually people look at it and not just have a good idea, that would back that up. So there is some work out there um, that's mentioned in this paper, perhaps looking at primary care services and improving those or making them integral to any approach to reduce tendencies is, is a good idea. And parents and any patient really should be provided with information about the management of common conditions. So trying to prevent reattendances and things like that. So maybe, maybe it's time to experiment with an informed grandparent being posted at the end of community streets to provide guidance, like in the old days. Ian, you wrote that? I think, yeah, maybe. Okay, we can hark back to the old days. I'm not sure where we're going to get these grandparents from. But maybe, maybe we can't do that. Alternatively, we need to think about health, needs to be thought about in everyday living, about living more healthily, about planning things, um, and certainly a shift out of ED back into primary care. But as this paper suggests, how we do that and what's evidence-based is pretty unclear. But it's a hot topic all over the place. So have a look at the evidence. And when the next person comes through your door and go, oh, I've got this brilliant idea to reduce attendances, then maybe just photocopy this and give them them. It might shut them up for a bit. It won't, but it's worth a try. Where next? Well, next it's back to TXA and looking at pre-hospital tranexamic acid shortens the interval to administration by half in major trauma networks. This is a service evaluation paper and something we've been doing up in the northwest of England for quite a long time. We've had the pre-hospital teams giving TXA. Arguably, hmm, can I say this possibly... Yeah, maybe maybe on a broad... How can I put this? Maybe on a broad indication than those patients who are included in CRASH-2. 
I'm just going to leave that one hanging there for a second and move on to what Ian said about the paper. So we know TXA is used to manage blood loss from postpartum bleeding, post-surgery, hereditary angioedema, and from heavy menstrual periods, and is associated with increased survival of patients with significant hemorrhage and major trauma. We know that. Um, in this study, looked at the TARN data, the Trauma Audit and Research Network, uh, to study patients who attended the London Trauma Centres and Queen's Medical Centre in Nottingham. And I think Nottingham is one of the busiest trauma centres in the UK, so it's quite a, a, quite a large bunch of patients. And then in that study, over a thousand patients received TXA with data being available on about two thirds of them being analysable with about half of the patients receiving within an hour following injury, but with twice the interval if they received it in hospital. So no great surprise there. If you got it pre-hospital, you got it quicker than if you got it in hospital. So the challenge there was identified that finding out who would be at risk of major hemorrhage in the pre-hospital environment, that is the patients not in yet in shock from blood loss. So to me, this is interesting. It's fairly obvious, I guess, that if you give stuff pre-hospital or you empower your paramedics to give it pre-hospital, they'll get it more often and quicker. Still got to think hard about which are the right sort of patients to get TXA. Remember the CRASH-2 trial showed that it was for patients who were perceived to need a blood transfusion or were actively bleeding. Now it's anybody who triggers a major trauma alert, and that's not necessarily the same group, particularly as we're now seeing a lot more elderly patients who come in who may not be bleeding in the same way that the papers in the original description of TXA suggested. So quite a lot to think about in there and, and have a look at that paper. But clearly, empowering our paramedics to the right patients is clearly a good thing to do. Just need to make sure it's the right patients. So Ian turns his attention to a paper from Japan from the Kanto region back in 2012, looking at advanced airway management and another group in whom a bag valve mask was delivered. And this is in patients who've got out of hospital cardiac arrest. So essentially, this is a paper looking at confirmed cardiac output on emergency medical services arrival as a confounding factor. Uh, so basically an observational study of pre-hospital airway management in patients with non-traumatic out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. So we know that in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, airway management is still a pretty controversial area. Latest ILCOR, that's the International Liaison Committee on Resuscitation Guidance on Paediatric Airway Management, suggests that BVM, bag mask ventilation, that should be BMV, shouldn't it? Rather than tracheal intubation of supraglottic airway devices should be used. Although that was based on pretty low certainty of evidence, which is, you know, which is kind of different to what we've now got in adults where the evidence is much better. So registry studies are used as they are, there's a few randomised control trials here, most notable of which was being conducted by Gauch, but that was published way back in the year 2000. And so the value of that work's pretty diminished. So as I said, paper... Japanese registry from 2012 comparing advanced management compared to another group where they just got uh, bag mask valve ventilation. And the outcomes were looking at neurological function at one month adjusted for various factors using multiple logistic regression. So that was fine. Two groups in the advanced airway management, 5,800 odd, just under 5,900 patients and BVM uh, 6974 patients with more cases of confirmed cardiac output seen in the bag valve mask as compared to the advanced airway management. So 3.9% versus 1.9%. And the impact of confirmed cardiac output by EMS had a large effect on good neurological outcomes for the patients at one month, 30 30% as compared with only, well, just under 2% if there was no cardiac output detected. So this is kind of important because it means that whether or not there is 
presence of cardiac output is a significant confounding factor in these sort of studies. And when we're looking at the airway papers, we need to make sure that we take all these things into account. Then Ian's going on to looking at the association of paramedic RSI and survival and out-of-hospital stroke. Now, it's going to be a controversial one because it's both got stroke and RSI in the title. And if you follow Twitter, you'll know that these are just triggering so many people about what to do. So I, I read this one with trepidation. But this paper looks at pre-hospital airway management of patients with stroke in Australia. Looked at 131 hospitals over, oh gosh, just under nine years, uh, January 28 to December 2017, and compared the patients who'd been intubated by RSI um, with those who weren't, and then propensity score matched those, which showed a decreased survival of those who underwent RSI by you know, fairly significant amounts. Um, no significant difference to patients with ischemic strokes or for hemorrhagic strokes, same thing. And it suggests that... Well, it's difficult, isn't it? The problem with a lot of these trials is they'll show an association with one thing or another, but that doesn't necessarily prove causality. And this has been a lot of the debate on, online about this particular paper, about whether or not it does show that RSI is harmful or whether, have a guess, folks, um, maybe the patients getting the RSI were sicker. Just saying, could be probably is, but don't know yet. But really interesting to have a look at these things and see the debates that come around them. And we definitely need to see, uh, perhaps look at some more formal trials to see if this data um, should be high on research funding priorities. Um, I don't know. I think it's the decision to intubate is probably not necessarily just about the pathology. It's about the clinical state of the patient. And I'm not sure, well, it'd be a quite a difficult trial to do. Maybe, maybe somebody coming along to the workshop later this year can design something which will answer that one. Okay, next paper, driving stroke quality improvement at scale in emergency departments across a nationwide network of hospitals, strategies and interventions. So this is about things like decreasing door to needle time for uh, TPA. Again, controversial, controversial, you know, decreasing needle time. Great. That means you can probably capture more TIAs. Oh, sorry, may have just said that out loud. Um, but anyway, you know, the, uh, my personal view is that the, the Thrombolysis probably works, but we may not have defined the exact group of patients who um, benefit from it yet. Um, in this study, they took an electronic dashboard, um, which is used to store and retrieve outcome data to see which interventions would improve the TPA administration rate. Again, is that, a, is, that a, is that an interesting or challenging outcome? But it's certainly one which people are using as a quality measure. And then there's all the debate about TPA, which you can read um, online on blogs and in certain papers. There's still controversy around it. Um, but again, about are we hitting the right group of patients? So over two years, data was collected from 2015 to 2017. 89 hospitals revealed that specific physical and staff allocation to stroke management and pathways of care with checklists really affected the TPA administration. And I think there's something in that. Certainly something about if you have a dedicated team and space and protocols, you get better quality measures. I think that's probably what this is saying. But it opens up that thing about, you know, stroke and TPA again. It's not going to go away as a debate. And of course, many centres are now moving to um, clot retrieval plus or minus TPA administration. So it's still an emerging and interesting field, still much that we can do to look at stroke management. So then we're looking at the epidemiology of traumatic injuries presenting to an ED in central Haiti, um, a retrospective cohort study. So this is interesting, uh, particularly of interest in global health. 
Um, patterns of injury vary in central Haiti. Um, falls being a very predominant cause in children as opposed to RTCs in adults. Um, and these findings reveal that clinical and public health measures need to be enhanced to decrease the morbidity and mortality in, in Haiti. And, and the, the paper goes into uh, just how tough things are out there. Um, there's quite a lot of work been around the healthcare issues in Haiti, particularly after the earthquake. And I think this, this touches on that and the difficulties of managing emergency medicine around the world. And I think it's something that we've been doing a little bit more of in the journal to try and give more of a global picture to how emergency medicine is being practiced across the world. And then we're going to finish off with something which is sad, actually. Um, Ian's stepping down um, from his position at the MJ. He has really done a lot of work. Uh, all the time that I've been working with the MJ, um, he's been absolutely fantastic. And as I said, he's taken a real lead around paediatric issues and just been a wise head and a wise uh, sort of colleague um, for such a long period of time. It will be a, a great shame to, to lose him. Um, he puts his thanks in there and... I think, you know, Ian, yeah, it's great that you're putting thanks out to the readers and listeners, but, you know, thanks to you, mate. Hope all goes well and have a great time. I'll be speaking to you again in August. And yeah, just, just think about coming up to um, Gateshead later this year, annual scientific conference. Go and have a look at the Archem website and, uh, you know, come to the workshop. See you soon.